Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Um, you might think it's strange, the title of today's message, it is Suffering with a Purpose, and coming into a, a, a series or a theme on Thanksgiving, we don't oftentimes think of suffering when we think of Thanksgiving. And uh, it seems antithetical, really, or counterproductive to our topic of discussion today, but um, it's very timely. Um, I, I believe I have their permission to tell you, we have a family in our church uh, their last name is Prescott, and uh, many of you know their story. They have two sons, Judd, who is 11, and Lyle, who is 7. He'll be turning 8 in, on Tuesday. Um, it's his birthday. He's battled cancer now of the brain and brain stem for about two and a half years when they were diagnosed, and uh, he's battled valiantly and done really well. Uh, he took a turn for the worst yesterday. We got a call from the family. Sarah Lee and I went down and spent some time in the hospital room at Children's with them. Um, they have him on comfort care now, and it's a matter of time. Um, we do believe in a God of hope, though, and a God who can do miracles. And so, as I've mentioned before, God does sometimes his best work right when everything seems lost. And so... Ironically, this message was finished and was planned long ago, but I think is very timely today, not just in that case, but in probably many of your all's situations in life. I don't think any of us are not touched by some form of pain, suffering, or loss. And uh, as, as we get ready to go into this message today, I'd like to take a few moments uh, to pray for Lyle and his family. Um, and, and ask God's will to be done. When Sarah Lee and I stepped in there yesterday, I've only had a handful of times where I've had this experience where, where you step into the presence of a sacred space. Um, it's, it's unlike any other space, and it's not because of what is specifically going on there, but I think mom and dad have been so saturated in prayer. Lyle has been, Judd has been, and the family has been for so long. There's a palpable, holy presence of God in that room, and you can't help but just sit or stand in that space in just complete and utter speechless awe. No words could come in those moments, a few here and there. It was honestly one of the most worshipful experiences I've ever experienced. Um, and I pray, as you continue to pray for the family, that they would feel and sense the prayers of Almighty God with them during this time. So let's pray for Lyle right now, will you? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we call on your holy presence to be with the family to be with Lyle and Judd. Holy Father, we beg of you. Pour out your healing touch upon his body. Fill his every fiber with your holy presence. 
eradicate all the cancer and infirmity in that little stricken body of his. As you've raised the dead, caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, God, we know that you still do that today. And so we call upon you even now from a distance to step into that space and to bring a healing touch. We love you, God. Amen. So what is suffering? Um, (laughs) If you were to give a definition to it, what would you say suffering really is? Suffering, according to the dictionary, is this. The bearing of pain, inconvenience of loss, or inconvenience or loss. It's pain endured. It's also known as distress or loss of injury. Um, as sufferings by pain or sorrow, sufferings by want or wrongs. Let me ask you a question. We're going to be going to first, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter four today, and unpacking that. And and I'll give you a little background to what's going on there in just a moment. But let me ask you this question: Have you? How many of you have played by the rules? You've done everything the right way, at least as best you know how. You you have you have been as loving as you know how to be, even to those that have been unlovable to you. You have gone above and beyond the call of duty in almost every area of your life, or at least you've tried. How many of you have done all of the right things, but not gotten the benefit yet? Or, quite honestly, you, you've done all of the right things, you, you, you do all of the right things as best you know how, as within your power and ability to do, and then things actually don't work out for you. They don't play out the way you'd planned or hoped, and they, they don't, all of these dreams and hopes don't come to fruition the way you had hoped they would or had planned that they would. How many of you have ever experienced that? Yeah? So we come to this passage today in 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, which we have in our Bibles. It's a great book. It's a great letter. It is a heavy-handed letter because the church at Corinth was a difficult church. The church at Corinth is it's one of those churches that nobody would ever want to pastor. Seriously. Because if you read everything that Paul's addressing in the first letter to them, I mean, they are a mess. Now, you say, well, Brandon, the church is full of messy people. Yes, yes it is. But there's a mess that goes beyond the pale to where you think, this is almost irredeemable. Now, I don't think anything is irredeemable in God's economy. Which is why I think Paul contended with them, and I think God had called Paul to contend with the church at Corinth. By the time we get to the second letter, he's kind of not, he's not backpedaling, but what he is, he's given a softer tone in the second letter. In the second letter, Corinth, uh, Corinthians, he's, he's saying, listen, I hear that you guys don't like me. That's really what it's boiling down to. I hear that uh, you know that I'm not an eloquent speaker that I have my own physical maladies and, uh, 
I've been shipwrecked, imprisoned, I've had a rough go at it, and, and you guys have speakers and other people that come through that are ministering to you, and they seem to have it all together, but, and, and you think that God must have something against me uh, because I've obviously have been hit pretty hard. And so by the time we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul basically just lays it all out from a personal perspective. And I want you to hear what he says. He's talking about this new way in Christ Jesus. He says, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. A lot of these speakers that were coming through, a lot of these preachers, evangelists, some of the ones that were leaders in the Corinthian church that were teaching, were, were spewing this, this, this ideology that was completely contrary to the gospel. This is the church that allowed sin to stay in the camp of the church Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you could see there's sexual sin in the church from some of the members, and he is addressing that. You cannot have sin in the church. It doesn't mean that people can't sin or don't sin, I should say. It means you guys are turning a blind eye to ongoing sin. That's the problem. It's not that people don't sin. It's that people have been turning a blind eye to sin and saying, oh, well, that's okay. And it's not. And Paul addressed that. But they didn't like that being addressed. They didn't like any of these things being called out because they thought they were better than most people. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. There was this divisiveness going on in the body of Christ at Corinth where they were saying, well, my gifts are better than yours. Well, the Holy Spirit's gifted me with this gift, so you should look to me. And they started having competitions in, the, in that local assembly of who was better than the other. Paul goes on, he says, we tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. He's basically saying, you can have any number of people come in and tell you any number of things about the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I know that we're telling you the truth, and that's what matters. And then he goes on. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, he's basically saying, if, if, if when I have preached to you, the letters I have written to you, if it is hidden, if it's hidden, it's hidden only from people who are perishing. Well, what does he mean? He's basically saying it's hidden from those who have already determined in their heart that what Paul was saying was wrong and what everybody else was saying was right. And instead of leaning into the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were willing to believe a lie. And it's because they were choosing to do that, not because of any other reason. Now he goes on to write, Satan, who is the God of this world. Who is the God of this world? That doesn't, we, we usually think, well, God is the God of this world. Technically, no. He's handed this world over into the hands of the enemy. He is the prince of the air, Satan is. He has been given authority in this space, but not ultimate authority. The only authority Satan has is the authority we allow him to have over us. 
I want you to understand that. The devil made me do it is not a good excuse. The devil can't make you do anything you're not willing to do in and of your own self. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. How has he done that? What does Satan do to blind people today? Deception. He takes what is good and he just, let me just, let me tweak it or mold it just a slight bit differently. He takes, all right, we talked about this in my class this morning, I was teaching. He takes love and then he slightly perverts it. Do you understand what I'm getting at? Is there a love that is not the love of God in this world? That love is conditional, it is selfish, and it seeks its own way. I would quite say that that's not love at all, but that is the world's rendition of love. But the kind of love that God says we are to have in the Scripture is a love called agapeo. And agapeo love is selfish, sacrificial, and unconditional. It loves regardless of what is returned in kind or not. So is there a perversion of love in our culture today? So there is a distinction in the definitions of loves. Would I be correct in saying that? And would you be correct in agreeing with that? Yes. So Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And he does that through deception. He does that through temptation. He said, really, this is beautiful. Don't you want this? Don't you really want this thing for you and your family or for your, your, your employment or your success? I mean, don't you really, really, if you just do this thing, it'll be so much better for you. But in order to do that thing, you have to compromise a little bit. He goes on to write, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is, in the exact, who is the exact likeness of God. See, because they have been willing to believe a lie, they have become veiled. Lies do that. They put a veil in front of our face to make us believe something that's not true. When the light of Christ desires to penetrate through all of that, And pull the bell back so that we truly see light for what it is. How bad is it when we see darkness that we think it's light? And how do you know the difference? Because true light exposes what is evil and wrong. And what is evil and wrong, Brandon? Anything that is not in alignment with God's perfect will and teachings and commands. No matter how much you want to say contrary to that, I promise you, the world has tried for centuries, for millennia, to find an alternate source of truth aside from the God of heaven and earth. And we know how it works out. Look at every culture on the face of the earth, every dictator, every person What happens when a group, a nation, an individual lives devoid of the God of heaven and earth? It rarely, if ever, have I seen work out 
for the good. But then you say, Brandon, what about those who are truly living, living the right way, doing the right things? We get hit from every side. We're going to get to that. Verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. That's what Paul's talking about. I know um, a lot of ministers do that. It, it, and I, 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 it's about the me show, right? It, it's about the Brandon show or the whatever show. And, and, of course, we draw on our own personal experiences to give illustrations about things. I, I try as best I can not to make this about me, but the problem is that's what we oftentimes tend to do. We go around, we, Paul, Paul is saying, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. And if you look at any of Paul's letters, you, you kind of see that. Now, there are moments where he says, listen, I've got all the credentials I need. You should listen to me, but I count everything that I have as credentials as being trash compared to the greatness of worshiping Christ Jesus. Everything I've ever gained in this life is nothing compared to Christ Jesus. He says, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light and darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus. He says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. You ever thought about that passage before? Have you heard of the jars of clay analogy and the treasure in the jars of clay? Do you know what jars of clay are? They haven't been fired in a kiln. They've been sunbaked. So they're a lot more fragile than having gone through the fire. Do you catch the analogy that Paul's giving here? God has given this beautiful gift to those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And he has placed that gift in what? <laughs> clay jars. Fragile, unbaked clay jars. If that's not a humbling statement, I don't know what is. This makes it clear, he says, that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. It's true. I'm not a beautiful piece of porcelain that's been put through the kiln. I'm a dull gray jar. And the only thing that makes me worth anything is the contents. And the contents are Jesus Christ. We are pressed on every side. Here's where he starts to get to the nitty-gritty. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. You see, we're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Do you know what he's talking about there? Paul experienced beatings. 
He experienced curses from people. He experienced beratements emotionally, psychologically. He experienced abuses that only some of us could ever imagine having ever experienced. And what's his mentality about all of the sufferings he incurred? What is he saying there? Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. He's equating, listen, do you know what Jesus in his last week of life went through? He was tried for crimes he never committed. He was accused of things he had never done. He was called names of the sort that were so deplorable. He was arrested. He was beaten within an inch of his life, literally, And then he was hung on the cross in a mockery of his authority as king with a crown of thorns stripped bare for all to see in shame and humiliation. And Paul is saying, if he can do that for me, then I'll do that for him. My body may bear the bruises, the rackedness of this abuse, but he blazed the trail for me and so will I go for him. This walk of faith is not for the faint of heart. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, it's, it's been rough. Uh, I've, I've been imprisoned. I, I've been stoned, not with drugs, but with actual stones, left outside of a city for dead. And I came to, in a, and I was bloodied and beaten, and he gets, I just, I need to preach this message. He gets up, and he goes back into the town where the people who stoned him were. Can you imagine being one of the, like, oh, crap, he's still alive. (laughs) He shouldn't be. We saw, we thought he was dead. We live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. He's like, listen, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to die for you. Greater love has no man than this, than he... Jesus says, did Jesus only lay down his life for his friends? Who did he lay down his life for? Everybody. And if we as believers in Christ are called to be Christ-like, who should we be willing to lay down our lives for? First and foremost, Christ, but secondly, all of those made in the image of God. That's a bitter pill to swallow, but it is true. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself, uh, us to himself together with you. He's talking about heaven now. He said someday, when we run this, run, uh, this life of faith, 
and we've suffered for the cause of Christ, someday we will be presented at the very throne of God where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father who is currently now advocating on our behalf. But then we will be there and Jesus will say, look, my sons, my daughters, your children. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will, be a great, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. And here is the, if you blank out on anything else or you've blanked out up to this point, please hear this. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long. In the grand scheme of eternity, a handful of years, 70 years, 90 years is nothing compared to eternity. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look, wait, let me go back to that. They produce for us glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. The troubles you're going through are for a purpose. And it's not to say that God is zapping you with troubles, but God uses the troubles of this broken and fallen world that sometimes circumstantially crash into you to make you stronger, to bring you to a place where you are more mature. But you also have to take ownership for that suffering. To allow God to do its work in you what he desires for it to do. It is not a punishment for you, but a means of growth. A means of strengthening. So we don't look to the troubles we now see. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. What are the things in this world that cannot be seen? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but His presence is an ever-present reality. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. We are created, mind, body, soul, spirit. We are not just flesh and blood creatures. We have a spirit given to us, breathed into our bodies by the very God of heaven himself, the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We should know that full well so that in the end, whatever the end is for us, be it seven years old or a hundred, God still sits on the throne and breathes life into his children. Tim Hansel in his book, You Gotta Keep Dancing, writes, that was funny. I don't know where that came from, but it was funny. Most of the Psalms were born of difficulty. Most of the epistles in the New Testament were written from prison. Most of the greatest thoughts of the greatest thinkers of all time passed through the fire. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress from jail. Florence Nightingale, too. She became too ill to move from her bed. She ended up reorganizing the hospitals from bed. Semi-paralyzed and under constant menace of apoplexy, 
Louis Pasteur was tireless in his attack on disease. During the greater part of his life, American historian Francis Parkman suffered so acutely that he could not work for more than five minutes at a time. His eyesight was so bad that he could only scrawl only a few gigantic words on a manuscript, and yet he contrived more than 20 volumes of history. Sometimes it seems that when God is about to make preeminent use of a person, he puts him or her through the fire. As I was talking to Gina over the past few weeks before things happened the way they were, she, she's, we, we finished the Miracle of God series this past couple months. And one of her comments was, I don't know how much more refining a person can go through. How much fire of refining do you feel like you can withstand? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know about you, but refining is not pleasant while it's happening, but the end results are beautiful. Because refining means you have to be baked and melted under the most intense of circumstances so that it squeezes out every impurity. So that what's left is glowing white and beautiful. Here's the point. We can, you're thinking, he's just now getting, we got dinner in the back and I'll be done. We can be thankful when we suffer for the sake of Christ for we know it's not in vain. Here's the three points. We have good news to share with the world. Did you know that? When you become a believer in Christ, that's not the end of the line. I know many ministers, churches, they treat salvation as the, as, the, uh, as the ticker, not the ticker tape, but the tape at the cross of the finish line. You know what I'm talking about? Salvation is the goal. No, salvation is the starting line. When you start that race, and Paul, Paul calls this a race in his letters, Running a race. When did the race start for Paul? On the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, he had been persecuting the Christians, going from town to town until he was knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus by the risen Christ himself who comes to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you, Lord? I'm the one you're persecuting. I am... Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the revelatory moment of that? He had been working zealously to knock down this early Christian movement who he thought were heretics. And now the Christ who he had been fighting against by torturing and imprisoning other believers in Christ has now come to him and says, stop it! Has God ever said that to you? Stop it! About anything you've ever been doing or thinking. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Go into town, the one you were headed to, to a house by the man of the name of Ananias, and I will meet you there. 
You see, Paul knew from that moment on things were never going to be the same. Paul knew he had been fighting the wrong fight for the wrong causes. And it wasn't until he had that moment with the risen Christ that everything changed. Everything had to change. He couldn't go back to the way things were before. No matter how easy it might have been to continue in a pattern of behavior that had been comfortable and good and all that he had ever known, he couldn't go back to that anymore. He was now dedicated to the good news and he had been given something to give to the world. Whether he had become famous for it or not, his calling was to step up to the plate and stop being a persecutor and start suffering for Christ. You see, a call to follow Jesus is a call to suffering. And none of us want to hear that because it's not a great church growth model. It doesn't get people to give more. It doesn't get people to come to church more. I want to go to a church that's going to make me feel good about everything and tell me everything's okay. The only okay thing is Jesus Christ. Without him, it is not okay because you cannot survive this. And I'm not just talking spiritually. I'm talking mentally and emotionally and every other way. If you do not have Christ in your life, fully surrendered to him in all areas, it's hopeless. The second thing is we will experience troubles, difficulty, and suffering. Do you know what? (laughs) So Paul is sent into Damascus. He goes to the home of Ananias. But before Saul gets to Ananias, who will become Paul, Saul and Paul are interchangeable. It's a different topic for a different time, but he had a name change, all right? God comes to Ananias in a vision. He said, guess what? You're getting a visitor. He, you're getting a little fella. His name's Paul. He's like, I'm sorry, is it the Paul that I've been hearing about? Listen to how this conversation goes between God and Ananias. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But listen to the Lord's response. The Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Oh, and here's the next one. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Is is. Is Jesus just being sadistic here? Is he just doling out punishment on Paul? No, he's just saying, listen, when you put yourself in service to me, it's going to get tough. He already told his disciples this. Do you remember in John chapter 16? Remember, in this world you will have troubles of many kind, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Remember, when they hate you, they hated me first. And they will hate you if you believe in me and continue to follow me. It's just a part of the walk of Christ. It's going to be okay, though. I got this. I've already gone ahead. I've defeated the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you were in me and I am in you, it's going to be just fine. 
It's going to be just fine. And lastly, and this is the one I'm going to spend a couple minutes on before you go out to eat. We've been given the message of good news. None of us are off the hook for sharing that good news. If you have good news, do you, when you get good news, do, do you just, do you hold on to it? If you get like the best, who's the first person you call? Don't say Ghostbusters. Sorry, I don't know, it just popped into my head. Who's the first person you call, right? When you get good news, you want to, you wanna, I got to tell somebody. I'm going to tell everybody. I'm going to go on Facebook Messenger. I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to go on also. I'm going to get, I will I'm, it, megaphone it, right? I got to tell my good news. You see, the church doesn't do a good job in our culture today of sharing the good news. See, here, here's the paradoxical perspective on this. We are called to suffering in sharing the good news. <laughs> Does that seem right? All right, so we've been given good news, but the good news is you're going to suffer while you go through this. <laughs> yes, and I've mentioned this to you before. Let me explain how this is good news. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are flipped as individuals from upside down to right side up. Okay? If I had, I should have had a picture. Imagine yourself living upside down in an upside down world. The world's never going to take notice of you. But the world is upside down because it's not the way God created it. Because sin and death have marred it, broken it. It is now a fallen world under the kingship of Satan. So we now live in an upside-down world. And if you are living upside-down in an upside-down world, it means you are not a believer in Christ. But when you become a believer in Christ, the tables turn and you flip right-side-up in an upside-down world. Guess what you look like to the rest of the world? <laughs> you look upside-down, but then you're seeing things that are like, whoa, 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 how, could I how did I not see this before? Have you ever, when you came to Christ for the first time, if you've, come to Christ. Do you remember seeing things aligned differently? You saw the world differently. You saw your circumstances differently. You saw the sin in your life that you had had differently. You saw everything differently. And you're like, whoa, how did I miss that? But there's also this sense of freedom that comes being flipped right side up in an upside down world. Because you don't feel the heaviness of being pulled down you feel the weighty or weightlessness of being pulled up by your Savior. And so it's much easier to bear the sufferings in an upside-down world as a right-side-up person. This is why it's good news. This is why when we come to Christ, though we will be bombarded and pressed on all sides and pushed, pressed down but not crushed, when we are just like that, we won't succumb to the forces of evil in this world because we're being pulled to a higher calling, to a place of freedom in Jesus Christ. That's what makes it bearable. Though our bodies wither and fade, though our relationships sometimes fall apart, <laughs> 
though our income and jobs may not always be stable. We can look ahead in the right side up perspective and see there's an end and the end is glorious and I'm going to press on to that space, to that place because I know he is here with me now. This is why we should never give up. Never give up. Suicide rates are at an all-time high. Do you know why? Because when we went into isolation three years ago, we realized something about ourselves. Do you know what we realized as a nation? All politics, all disease aside, when we were isolated, we realized how lonely we truly are. We'd been playing games up to that point. We'd been on a drift to isolationism since probably the 60s, 70s, 80s. But it took a situation like what happened in 2020 when everything shut down. We were forced to stay home and we were isolated from each other that we realized we are communal creatures, not meant to live in isolation from each other. What happened during that time may have been a nice respite for a couple weeks, but as weeks led to months and months led to up to a year, year and a half in some places, we realized the hopelessness of our isolation was dragging us down deeper into this place of the upside down world which we had been living but now realized we had no control over. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. We were created to breathe life into each other, the life of Christ into our every fiber and being, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to love as we've been loved. Because when we don't have that, it becomes very hopeless and dark. People spiral into addictive behaviors to cope with the isolation just to get a respite from the loneliness or the reality of the hopelessness, just to have a respite from the, the desperation of just needing something different. And we lose ourselves, our identities, and we start to create new ways of, of trying to find purpose in life by changing who we think we are into something that only the enemy would desire for us to be. And Jesus has been there all along. Through every valley of every shadow of death, he's been there all along calling out in his still small voice saying, it's okay, it's not over, don't give up. The battle's won, don't give up, don't do something stupid, don't kill yourself, don't go into this behavior, don't do this thing, don't give up on me because I haven't given up on you. As our worship team comes forward today to close this out, I want to ask you this question. <clears throat> what are you living for and what are you dying for? 
The believer in Christ is truly dying in order to fully live. John the Baptist says, he must increase and I must decrease. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Oswald Chambers wrote, to choose to suffer means that there is something wrong. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses God's will, as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Be merciful to God's, re be merciful to God's reputation. It's easy to blacken God's character because God never answers back. He never truly vindicates himself verbally. Beware of the thought that Jesus needed sympathy in his earthly life. He refused sympathy, sympathy from others because he knew far too wisely that no one on earth understood what he was going through. Notice God's waste of saints according to the judgment of the world. God plants his saints in some of the most useless places. We say, God intends me to be here because I'm so useful you see, Jesus never estimated his life along the line of greatest use. God puts his saints where they will glorify him most, and we are no judges at all of where that is. So where has God planted you? And how are you handling it is the bigger question. Are you choosing to strive for his glory and purposes even when things are not going your way? Are you pressing into him even more that the days seem to be growing longer and darker with time? Do you see the suffering and pain in your life and in those around you as something to be avoided? Or do you, do, or do you see it as a means to grow greater in Christ Jesus? Ernest Best gives us hope as he writes. The gospel is light and it brings light and knowledge to the souls of those who open up to it. The light is the brightest the light is the brightest or glory with which Christ and God shine. We cannot separate Christ and God. The brightness of God is seen in the face of Christ and Christ is the likeness of God and the glory of God which we expect to see in the ascended exalted Christ cannot be separated from the glory revealed at the cross. Hope does not come devoid of struggle and pain. If you've been sold a, bill, sold a bill of goods by the church or somebody within the church telling you that you're, you're supposed to have a better life this side of heaven just because you've come to Christ the only part of that that makes it better is that you can push through all of the crap because you've got Christ who's blazed a trail for you it doesn't mean that it's going to be all bad please understand don't, don't misunderstand me I have had amazing moments in my walk with Christ there have been joys I've been able to go through some stuff 
as I'm sure you have, and to laugh about it because there is no sting of Satan in it. Because the bonds and chains of this life were broken off when I came to Christ. I know many of you are burdened. Some of you have physical ailments, mental or emotional issues you're struggling with. Can I promise you that God's going to fix everything according to what you desire? No, but can I promise you that he can make it better? Yes. Imminently more better than you can ask or imagine. And that's what I'm asking today. But you don't do it for me. It's only for him and for you. Our altars are always open. You come to my right, your left. Somebody will pray with you. Come to my left, your right. You can pray alone. But I'm asking you to suffer with your head held high, to push through the pain, the dark valley of the shadow of death, knowing that he is with you. And lastly, never give up. Father, in this place, the sweet aroma of your presence is here. As we breathe deep, Lord, let us breathe in your Holy Spirit. Give us a peace truly that passes understanding. And God, we are thankful. In all circumstances, we give thanks. And because you never gave up on us and still don't, we never give up on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.